Well, good morning, church. Anybody feel good today? Come on, if you feel good, put your hands together. Woo! Oh, I can tell you lost an hour of sleep. That's okay, though. Nudge your neighbor, tell him, say, wake up today, wake up today. I'm feeling good. You know, uh, before we jump into to, to the message, I want to take uh, an opportunity to look at the cameras in the back of the room. Say a great big hello to our extended family. It's our Go Church family. So many of you know that we are one church in two locations, and what God is doing at both of those campuses is just phenomenal. So we've got our South Metro family right here. Make some noise if you're in the house. Come on. 702 miles north of here. Just outside of our nation's capital is our Go Church family. And every now and again, some of that Go Church crew will make their way all the way down here to the south. And that is the case with our friends Jerome and Kelly Linder. Come on, would you welcome them? Wave at everybody. All the way from Go Church now. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love it. And so, so we're so glad to be connected to the family of God. Then, of course, all of you watching online, we're so delighted that you're using technology to jump into one of our gatherings. As a matter of fact, we got an email this week. There is a whole family, an entire family in Detroit, Michigan, that is huddled around a laptop computer this morning, and they're watching the live stream from right here. Come on, can we welcome them? I just think that's so cool. So thanks for checking us out. And then, of course, to all of and this is one of our traditions, and we do this every week. And uh, I just love it so much. But to all of our military men and women, we honor you. We bless you. Come on, let them know you love them. Fantastic. So we do. We bless them. Uh, we're, in a, uh, we're in a series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I want to jump into the message today. Uh, the Lord's really put this, uh, this word in my heart. So, so maybe you were here last Sunday when we kicked it off or you're jumping in today for the very first time. This is one of the primary reasons that I love to teach in series is because you can jump in at any point and not feel like you're left out. And so we're going to kind of catch up together. We're talking about five things that are going to keep your family together. And I, I'm not suggesting that if you do all these five things, you won't ever have any problems Okay, because none of us are exempt from problems. Do you agree with that? But I do believe these five things are foundational if we have this desire to keep our family unit uh, together. So last week I shared with you some staggering statistics. Uh, and I'll just kind of recap a few of them. 40, somewhere between 40 to 50% of marriages are ending in divorce. Uh, now one in three children will grow up in a home without a father. Over 7 million kids are using some form of an antidepressant. Over 3,000 students will attempt suicide every single day. Come on, isn't this painful? And so here, here's what we know. Statistics suggest that the average family is not doing great. But here's my heart. My heart is this, is that your family does not have to be average. Come on, listen to me. Your family does not have to be average. When you invite God into your family, when you take a hold of the scripture, the Bible says that we are now more than conquerors. Come on. So here's what I want to do. Both of our campuses on the count of three, I want you to make this last line, my family does not have to be average. I want you to make that a personal declaration. I want you to hold on to that thought that my family doesn't have to be another statistic. My marriage doesn't have to be like other marriages. My children don't have to be like other children. Come on, anybody with me? So on the count of three, I want you to say this as a declaration. My family does not have to be average. One, two, three. Come on, come on, do it like you're not wrestling with pollen and ragweed. You ready? One, two, three. That's it. Your family doesn't have to be average. And your church is partnering with you 
in order to help you overcome some of the challenges of having a God-first home. Because how many of you know when you decide to put God first, the enemy comes after that? The enemy does not want you to have a home or a family that's built on God. So we're partnering together. We're, we're creating the 30-Day Family Challenge. Uh, we've worked on this website called 30dayfamily.com. By a show of hands, how many of you have even visited the website? You've been to the website? That is not enough hands, ladies and gentlemen. Go check out the website because there are a ton of resources for you and your family, um, all kinds of things that will help equip you to really keep your family together and to keep them on the right track. Just one of the resources is this 30-day family challenge calendar. Uh, if you didn't pick one of these up last week or if you're joining us for the first time today, it's not too late to jump into this challenge. You can download this on that website or you can swing by our next steps counter at both campuses and pick up one of these calendars. On the calendar is all kinds of stuff that we're encouraging you to do as a family. You can do family devotions, so we're walking through the book of Jonah uh, on Tuesdays. We're calling it Together Tuesdays, and I want to give you this idea. We're actually inviting you to, to cook and eat a meal together. Come on now. And I, I, don't, I don't want to necessarily brag on my Together Tuesday menu, but I'm going to. Um, we threw it down at the Worldly Household on this Together Tuesday. Your pastor fired up the grill. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I told the family, I said, I'm firing up the grill. And they all ran into the furthest back, uh, back room to get away. They didn't know what was going to happen. I made a brown sugar glazed grilled salmon. Come on now. <laughs> then I decided to grill a little Mexican corn. I opened up the kitchen and made some cracked pepper Brussels sprouts. I did all this. <laughs> And then I knew, I knew, well, my, my kids aren't going to eat all that, so I made them Coca-Cola-infused turkey burgers. Come on now. So if you're looking for a place to eat on Tuesday, I ain't got that much food, but, you know. So we cooked together as a family. We ate together as a family. We've got uh, movie nights that are on this calendar. We've got game nights for you and your family on this calendar. We even have a date night for, for all, of, all of the parents, parents of little children. Um, so here's what we're doing. We're actually opening up both of our campuses on that on that date night, which is the 22nd of this month, we're offering free child care. Come on, isn't that great? Free child care so you and your spouse, you can get all fancied up, go on a date. And I say parents of little kids because if you've got like a 28-year-old guy living in your house as a child, don't drop them off, please. You, know? <laughs> you can drop them off at like the application line to get a job somewhere. <laughs> but they can't show up to the family night, you know, uh, and say, hey, I'm a kid. So, so the other thing is this, at 30dayfamily.com, the biggest part of this challenge is to be here throughout the month of March. This is a big piece of this challenge, to be in the house in the month of March each Sunday. And you know that the enemy is going to try to keep you away. That's why I was not surprised that we lost an hour of sleep and that the rain here in Atlanta tried to keep us away. Ain't nobody got time for that. Come on now. So I'm encouraging you to be here as many Sundays as you can, and we are absolutely and unapologetically bribing your children. Like right now, both of our campuses, our, our kids' directors are telling your kids that if they come four Sundays out of five, they're going to get a free gift. And your kids have probably already told you, we got to be there, we got to be there. It was so funny because my kids came home from last Sunday from church, and they were like, Dad, can we go to church next Sunday again? I was like, there's a good chance we're going to be there all five weeks. So... So we're bribing your kids to be here because we believe that a family that prays together, a family that goes to church together, those are the families that, that stay together. Can you give me an amen? All right, so 
Each Sunday, I'm going to give you this, this key verse of Scripture. This is the theme verse that will carry us throughout all of the weeks of the five things that will keep your family together. I shared it with you last Sunday. I want to give it to you again today. It comes out of Matthew chapter 7. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip there. For some of you, you've got a, a Bible that glows at your smartphone or your tablet. Open that up. Just don't get lost on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. But I want you to see in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24, because here Jesus is talking to his followers. And this is a sermon that was preached thousands of years ago, but, but it's still so profound and powerful today in 2019. Jesus is talking to his followers, and he talked to them about the benefit of building their life on him. Right? Because let me say this. Jesus is the only thing that's constant. Come on, somebody ought to help me right there. Like, if, if we try to build our, our life on a career or on the government, oh God, help us. If we try to build our, our life on things that are earthly and not things that are eternal, we're going to find a lot of pain in our lifetime. But when we build our lives on Jesus, he is a firm foundation. And so Jesus was having this, this conversation, and he says, I want you to build your life on me. And while he was explaining this to the disciples, he actually used the analogy of a home. Of a house, and here's what he said, picking up in verse number 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. On the count of three, say the rock. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. I tried to get the rock to join us today. Like, I asked him to come, but I guess he was busy. But anyway, this is not that rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. Anybody who puts these words that Jesus is saying into practice is like a wise man. He builds his house on the rock, and this is what he says. He says, look, the rain came down. The waters, the waters rose. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. And how many of you know that this is life? This is life, ladies and gentlemen. None of, none of us are exempt from storms. You know, the Bible says that in this world you're going to have trouble, trouble. But thankfully, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And he says, look, challenges are going to come. The rain's going to come. The, the, the wind's going to beat against your house. But when it's built on the rock, it will not fall because it has that solid foundation. And that foundation is the rock. That's Jesus. And then he says, so that's the wise man. He says this, though. He says, but everybody who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. And the foolish man... Builds his house on sand. On the count of three, say sand. One, two, three. Sand. sand. The rain came down. The water level rose. The winds blew against that home. It beat against that, that foundation. And it fell with a great crash. Now, like, like me, most of us would want a life and a home that was built like the wise man. The, the wiser of the two builders. This year in October, Kimberly and I, we will be married 15 years. Come on, somebody. That's a testimony to the gracefulness of Kimberly. I'm telling you right now to be married with me for 15 years. And I don't know, in fifth, at our 15th year anniversary, I see like the Bahamas coming in my future in Jesus' name. That's what I'm talking about. And, and Kimberly, you can come. Like you're, yeah. You should come with me. <laughs> it would be great. And when we exchanged those vows now almost 15 years ago, that, that was a declaration that we're going to build our house on Jesus, that we're going to be a God-first home. And in 15 years, 
our, our marriage, our parenting, our home life, uh, all of that has not been perfect. There have been great challenges. There have been great tragedies. There have been great storms that have come. But I'm standing up here as a testimony to the faithfulness of God that when you build your house on Jesus, listen to me. When you build your house on Jesus, regardless of what the world throws out you, listen to me, regardless of what happens to you, when it's built on Jesus, you can stand firm the test of trials and difficulties and sickness and death and all of that pain that comes. And I think many of us, we would want that kind of home. We'd want a home that when life gets shaky, the, the family's still together. We would want that kind of marriage that when everybody else's marriage is falling apart, we don't fall into the statistics, but we're more than conquerors. So how do we do that? How do we build our, build our life and build our home, build our family on Jesus? He gave us the answer. He said, when you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice. So Jesus was saying, the wiser of the two builders was not the difference between knowledge and ignorance because he gave us the answer. He said the difference is obedience or disobedience. Are you going to do what you know you ought to do? And I had this thought this week in preparation of this talk. Watch this. Don't just listen to what I'm telling you over the next five weeks. And I'm going to try to pull out because over these five weeks we're looking at what the Bible says on how we keep the family together. So don't just listen to my words and don't just listen to the words of Scripture and the words of Jesus. you gotta, you got to be obedient to what he's telling us to do. Don't just be a hearer of the word but a doer of the word as well. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, God. Keep my family together but there's going to have to be work. Anybody with me? Let me give you the five things. Here are the five things we're going to talk about. Last week we talked about God. Today we're talking about forgiveness. I want you to see all five weeks because we're going to build on the previous week. Next week we'll talk about building in margin. And then we'll talk about uh, putting some effort into the relationship. And then we'll close out the whole five things that will keep your family together by talking about all of them are profound. But one of the, one of the biggest challenges in relationships, which is communication, learning to communicate communicate well. So last week we talked about God and I gave you this, this question to consider. And here was a thought, what does it look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? We know what it's like for the job to be number one. We know what it's like for school to be number one. We know what it's like for sports to be the primary thing in the house. We know what it's like for the extracurricular activities to be the primary thing, the number one thing. But what does it look like for God to be the number one thing? And I challenged you with answering this question by looking at it through the lens of eternity. I don't have time to re-preach it, but let me give you this thought. We are all going to live forever somewhere, all of us. And our family will live forever somewhere also. So if we have this desire to be with our family forever in heaven with Jesus, then we have to look at this question through the lens of not just keeping our family together for 50 years, but keeping our family together for 50,000 years. It's an eternal perspective. And then I told you last week, I said, you got to give your family some CPR. Confess and commit. Tell them we haven't done it right, but we're going to get this train moving in the right direction. So we're going to confess. We're going to commit. We're going to pray together, even if it feels awkward, because the family that prays together stays together. 
And then we're going to refuse to give up because we're learning that God wired us not to be a quitter, but God wired us to be a fighter. Come on. That'll preach, won't it? Speaking of preaching, if you like good preaching, I preached last Sunday. Like, I mean, as a matter of fact, between last Sunday and this Sunday, they had to come into our sanctuary here in South Metro Atlanta and repaint all of the inside because I preached the paint off the walls. That's what I'm talking about. So if you missed last Sunday, I want you to jump back online because if you like good preaching, I want you to listen to what the Lord deposited in our hearts. Today, though, we're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about forgiveness, and, and I think there will be parts of this that we'll preach, but I want to teach to you some of the things that, that the Lord dropped in in my spirit as we talk about forgiveness. And here's the first thought that I have is I believe that most of us, if not all of us, we know the feeling of seeing the family devastated because of pain. Oh, man. Like, I, I, I even feel emotional just getting started because I consider how many families have, have crumbled. They've, they've fallen apart because somebody in the family was hurt or they were offended or they were mistreated or <clears throat> perhaps they were taken advantage of. And on the back end of that, okay, what, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, and and it's probably the first thing that came to your heart or mind. So, so whatever that is that happened to you on the back end, a lot of times forgiveness never takes place. And then over, over time, over years, over weeks, over months, over days, whatever, here's what happens. The family grows further and further apart. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been... Uh, to the emergency room or to a hospital, like you were visiting or you were admitted. Okay, so most of you then, you, you probably have seen this sign that hangs in one of those hospital rooms or the ER. Uh, this is the image that was in my brain and heart all week long. It's this pain management level chart. How many of you have seen this? <laughs> so I, I've been hospitalized a few times because I've passed 16 kidney stones in my life. You know, and then I was, when Kimberly and I first got married, we were really sick. I was really sick. I had a, a tumor that they found, so I spent many weeks in the hospital. And it was always interesting because the nurse would come in and said, how's your pain? And immediately, because there's like a little spirit of sarcasm in me, I thought, if I felt good, I wouldn't be here. Right? But what they were determining is how, how can we ease the pain level? Now, that chart is used to determine your physical pain. But I want to ask you the same question around the context of your family dynamic. What's the level of pain within your heart about your family? So some of you might say, well, it's mild, like things are good. Well, then these next 30 days, this five things that will keep your family together will only reinforce the good things that you're already doing. But some of you might say, man, there is severe pain. Like, I, I have been hurt. And then some of you might say, it's the worst pain possible. And, and here's the thing about life. Sometimes our pain level, when our, when, when in, in regards to our family, can, can kind of go back and forth on this, on this chart, can it? So some seasons are really good and everything's healthy. And then other seasons, if they don't kill you, you're going to kill them. And I wonder, like, where's your pain level today? I believe many of you, you're saying it's the worst pain I've ever felt. And, and maybe it's because you can remember the time that your parent walked out on you and the family. And so there's real like father issues because you feel abandoned. Or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's an in-law. 
So you married into this family, and now you got this in-law that they just don't know how to stay, in your, stay out of your business. They know how to stay in your business, but they don't know how to stay out of your business. Anybody got an in-law? Don't raise your hand. I was like, no, please. <laughs> One guy was like, yep. And she's here today. No. I'm glad that Kimberly and I, neither one of us have in-laws that, that are so pushy that they got to be in all, of, all up in our business. Maybe it's a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law. And, and the, the, the emotional pain level is the worst pain possible because they won't let you see your grandkid. So, so they say, hey, you, 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 can't, you can't call, you can't text, you can't FaceTime. I won't say the individual's name, but a couple weeks ago in our lobby, a lady came up to me and she was so excited because her granddaughter snuck away from her parents to make a phone call to her Mimi. Could you imagine? So, so maybe, maybe it's the worst pain possible because you can't figure out what have I done or, or what's going on here. You know, maybe somebody stole from you or maybe, maybe they borrowed money from you and they've never paid you back. This isn't a money series, but let me just give you some financial advice. Don't loan people money. Don't do it. Here's the principle that we take. I will give you as much as I can give you. No strings attached, but that's all I got. And you don't have to give it back. But I am not Wells Fargo. I don't do, <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? But it's true. I am not SunTrust. I am not BBNT. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to loan you money and charge you interest because, ladies and gentlemen, that never ends well. And so maybe they borrowed money from you and they never paid it back. Maybe it was a dad who was never really involved, and so he didn't come to your games or he didn't come to dance or he missed, he missed the big marching band event. I don't, man, the list just goes on and on. Maybe it's just a family member that they can't keep their big mouth shut. And all they do is talk. And you know they talk. Because you find out stuff about your family on Facebook. Anybody got a family member like that? You can raise your hand because you know how to. It's like, man, why are you talking about our business? And so we know this pain, the pain that's produced from conflict and issues and the hurt. And let me tell you, that pain can tear a family apart. So I can't talk about five things that will keep your family together and not talk about the idea of forgiveness. And I want to talk about it in two ways. The first way is this. I want to talk about what it feels like to be hurt. Because we're all humans and we've all been hurt. And then I want to talk about how we can heal from that hurt. So what does it feel like to be hurt? And then how can we figure out a way through God's word that we can heal from that hurt? In order to do this, I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is about 13 chapters long. I want you to go to chapter 12, okay? So we're coming to the end of the book. Now, up until about the third century, most scholars believed that the apostle Paul was the writer of Hebrews. After the third century, there's kind of some debate on who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. I just, I lean more towards Paul writing the book, but at the end of the day, whoever wrote it, we know that it's God-inspired and God-breathed. And Hebrews gives us some amazing relationship advice. Chapter 12, verse number 14. Here's what Hebrew says. Work at living in peace with everyone. Can I be honest? That's hard. Because some people just get on my nerves. Am I the only one? Man, work at living in peace with everyone. And, and, then, and then the instruction doesn't stop there. 
and work at living a holy life. Can I be honest? That's harder. Because the, the responsibility is this, is that those who are not holy will not see the Lord. How many of you are thankful for grace? So he says, work at living in peace. Work at living a holy life. And then he says, and watch out for each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then if you can highlight in your scripture, I think this is, this is the verse, all of it is good, but this is the verse that, that I really want you to see. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Two phrases jump out at me when we read these verses. The first one is this, work at it. Work at it. I got to be honest with you. If you want your family to work, you're going to have to work on your family. It takes work. It takes work. It is, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it is a job. It's a full-time job with overtime that you're going to have to continue to work at it. Like you, it would be nice if you could have one hard, wouldn't it be nice if you could say, all right, all the family get together. Now I need everybody to stop being so, so, so crazy. All right, I need, I told somebody the other day, I said, if everybody in my family would just act like me, we would be all right. Because I'm the smartest person in my family. Does anybody feel that way about you? Like, I'm thinking if everybody just did it my way, there'd be no problems. And they're probably thinking if we did it the opposite of how you do it, we would be fine. But wouldn't it be nice? Everybody get together. Okay, here's the rules. Nobody break the rules. And we never have to have that hard conversation again. That would be ideal. But we don't live in an ideal world. And you don't have an ideal family. You have a real world and a real family. And guess what? The Bible says that we are sinners. That we all mess up. That we all make mistakes. And so sometimes life happens. And then sometimes we're just foolish. And it causes dissension and discord in the family. And working at it is a constant process. And I told you this last week, but your family won't just accidentally stay together. Your marriage is just not going to accidentally be good. Like, how did this happen? I always love sitting with couples that have been married for decades. Like 35, 45, 55. Uh, there was a, a, a husband and wife uh, the, the, the wife passed away a few months ago, and they were married 63 years. 63 years. Do you think that they just accidentally stayed together for six decades? No, because they knew this isn't going to happen by accident. We're going to have to work at it. And again, if you want your family to work, you have to work on your family. And I think this is a good truth for some of us to buy into because there's this myth floating around and many of you believe this, that, well, if I, just, if I just have to work on a relationship, then there's something wrong, so I need to get out. Listen to me. Every relationship is going to have problems. Every relationship is going to have issues. And I don't know why, but I feel the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to the teenagers in the room, because you think that your family is the only one with junk. And so you think, I wish I could be another, uh, in another family. If you go to that family, they're going to have problems, too. And they're probably having bigger problems than your family initially has. So just stick it out with the family you got. Come on, somebody say amen right there. There's a husband that thinks, I'm going to trade my wife in for a newer version. A better version because the one that I got is cray cray. And maybe she is. 
I don't know. But I'll tell you this, the next woman you go to is going to have the same cray-cray issues because you're in the picture. <laughs> because you take all that baggage with you from one relationship to another. So you can hop from one marriage to the next marriage to the other marriage and whatever. But at the end of the day, I would rather work on the family that I've got instead of bailing out and trying to find a family that's better. Because that family that looks better on the outside, they got stuff too. Come on, help me preach for a minute. Watch this. All healthy relationships. All healthy relationships, not just families, but any type of relationship that's healthy, it will require work. It's going to require work. You don't just get one hard conversation. You have to have multiple conversations. You don't just get one counseling session and everything's fixed. You may need multiple counseling sessions. But can I just say this to you? It's worth it. It's worth it. Come on now. But, but the Bible doesn't only say work at it. The, the verse in Hebrews, the two verses also says, watch out. Work at it and watch out. Look at somebody and tell them, say, watch out. Now tell the person that was your second choice, watch out. Watch out. What are we watching out for? Watch out for each other so that none of us fails to receive the grace of God. Okay? Because we... Listen to me, we all need grace. And also watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12 that we have to work at living in peace because peace doesn't come free. Okay, we have to work at it. And then, and then we also have to watch out for roots of bitterness because you need to hear this. Roots are always growing. Roots are always growing. You've heard me say this before, but... My brother's a farmer. I don't know the first thing about farming. I'm not a gardener. I told you like a month or so ago that we've got this little plant that sits right, right beside the faucet of our kitchen sink. It died. <laughs> like, I mean, it died. This week we made the decision as a family, like we're going to throw it in the trash, you know, because I just thought the plant would drink through osmosis. <laughs> but I learned that I'm going to have to work at it. And I'm going to have to watch out for it to make sure that it lives. And the plant died, y'all. I'm telling you, it died. But... While I don't know much about gardening and farming, here's what I do know. It's so much easier to pull up small roots than it is to dig up the big roots. Because the small roots, consider a weed that has little roots. When you catch the weed in the beginning, it's a quick action step. Boom. You pull it out. You deal with it. You move on. But if you leave that weed to grow, its roots can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what was once a quick action step now might require you to go rent a backhoe and dig that thing out. Are you hearing me? So to maintain a healthy family structure, it's a constant process. We have to be watching for the roots of bitterness that are growing because when we don't watch out for it, what happens? It corrupts. Many. And let's talk about that for a second. Because you know this to be true. Conflict never stays between the two people involved. The issue never stays just between you and him or you and her. Now here's what happens. That root of bitterness, that anger, that resentment, 
(laughs) that drama, it gets infected and it corrupts other people within the family. And now you are forcing people to pick sides. What team are you on? Are you on team mom? you on team dad? Are you on team grandparent? Well, whose team are you on? you got to pick sides. And this is so dangerous because all we had to do was watch out for the poisonous root of bitterness, act quickly, pull it up, and move on. But we didn't do that. We let that root grow and grow and grow. So how does it happen? How, how do these roots grow deep? I'll tell you two ways. Number one is a lack of focus. Oh, we didn't watch out. We didn't work at it. We lost focus, and so this root started to dig deep. And then the other one is this. We let time get in the way. We let time come into the equation, and time always complicates the process. If you don't believe me, let me show you something Jesus said about conflict resolution. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says it like this. When you're on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Some of you didn't even want to say it. He says, when there's a problem, handle it fast. Because the longer you allow time to get in the middle of the mess, the bigger the roots grow and the worse the mess becomes. But if you can settle your differences quickly, you don't allow the enemy room to come in and infest the situation more than it needs to be. Come on now. Watch this. Another verse of the Bible says it like this. Don't even let the sun go down while you're angry. And some of you, you've, you've let time get into the family, and it's been 10, 15, 20 years. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. They're arguing and fighting, and now, to be honest, you may have a small memory of what the original disagreement was about, but it's so clouded now when all you had to do was settle your differences quickly. Here's what he says. He goes on. He says, otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge. And the judge is going to hand you over to an officer. And you're going to be thrown into prison. Now Jesus is talking about a literal prison here. But I think all of us know what it looks like for unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and unresolved conflict to keep us locked in a relational prison. You know what that looks like. It looks like the family, the husband and wife that are only married for the kids. They don't love each other. They hate each other, but they just somehow coexist. You know what it's like to be locked in a relational prison? It's the spouse that was cheated on, and so you feel rejected. And so you have sworn to God that you will never open up your heart to love again, so you'll stay locked in this relational prison. Come on, you know what it's like? It's, it's the son or the daughter that, that they don't answer the phone when, when the certain parent calls, or they won't go home for vacation, birthdays, or holidays because they don't want to face the parent who hurt them. And it's important, ladies and gentlemen, that that you settle your differences quickly so that you don't get thrown into this relational prison because let me tell you this truth, and you need to hear it, time does not heal all wounds. And I don't know who said that. I don't know who came up with that, but that is an ignorant statement. Time does not heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. Come on now. Come on, you ought to give them praise a little bit better than that. The longer you let that thing go, 
the bigger those roots grow. And I don't know if you notice this, but I gave you two sections of Scripture. And there's a theme between Hebrews and Matthew. Watch this. Work at peace. Say that with me. One, two, three. Watch out for roots of bitterness. One, two, three. Settle matters quickly. One, two, three. You want to know the theme? Everything you just read between those two sections of Scripture puts the responsibility on you. On you. Not one verse did we read today that tells us how we should handle the jerks, the liars, the cheaters. Not one verse of Scripture told us how to handle the, the workaholic, the verbally abusive. None of that. These two sections of Scripture says the responsibility is ultimately yours. So Hebrews says, and Jesus says, if you want to have peace in your family, you want your family to stay together, it is your responsibility, your responsibility to work at peace. Let me say it like this. You cannot delegate the responsibility of working on your family. You have to work on it. You have to watch out for the roots of bitterness. You have to settle the matters quickly. But most of us don't live that way. At least I, I don't typically, and I'm going to share a little bit about even my own personality and the way that I'm wired. You know what happens whenever, whenever somebody does something to me? I, I hold on to that. And I, I, I don't work at peace often. As a matter of fact, I can have a very defensive personality. And so sometimes Kimberly can say something, and I don't like the way she said it. And I feel like it's appropriate to remind her that I am the man of my house. And I just want to be really honest with you. Never one time has that approach worked. <laughs> Not once. When Kimberly and I first got married 15 years ago, we exchanged vows. We did the reception. We got into the limousine. And I said, you need to know one thing about this relationship. I am the king of my castle. And she looked at me like this, like, what did I get into? And I said, and rule number one is... Whatever the queen says goes. Come on. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> now, most of us, we have backdated wounds. Most of us, we have retroactive pain. And we don't work at peace. We don't watch out for roots of bitterness. We don't settle matters quickly. You know, my schedule doesn't allow me to do a whole lot of counseling, but I still get the chance to counsel some people. And it's amazing because a husband who resents his wife will come to me and share how he feels about her and how she hurt him and all the things that she did to him. And then I'll ask this question. So how did she respond when you told her those things? And it never fails. I hear, oh, I, I've never, I've never been able to tell her. I've had parents come in, talk about the dysfunction of the relationship between them and their children, and they'll sit in my office and even admit the areas that they were wrong, where they know they were wrong. And I'll say, well, what did your kids say when you told them? Oh, I've never been able to tell them that. Do we really work at peace? Come on, do we really watch out for roots of bitterness? Do, do we really settle matters quickly? If the answer is no, it's no wonder why your family feels like it's falling apart. And here's why. Because you and I, let me be as honest as I can be, 
We wait on them. We wait on somebody else to make the phone call. But listen to me. Hebrews and Jesus didn't say anything about them. Told us about us and what our responsibility was. And let me just reiterate, the longer you wait, the bigger the roots. And I've seen this over and over and over again. Hurt turns to anger and anger turns to bitterness. And eventually, instead of pulling up the small weeds, you need a backhoe to dig out the roots. And it's painful. But what if it was possible to settle matters quickly? Well, even better, what if it was possible to have a family and a home that wasn't always on the verge of conflict and, and breakdown? Man, whenever I counsel people, I go home and I tell Kimberly, their situation is so bad, I have anxiety. Because we're not perfect, but that's not our home. That's not our home because, because we work at it. Like, what if it was possible to lower the temperature of your household? To lower the temperature of the relational pain? What if it was possible to live in a house that had high grace and high forgiveness? And I believe it is, but listen to me. It's going to require some work, and it's going to require you watching out for some stuff. Let me say it like this because my time's running out. There are two stages of offense. Write this down. Stage number one of offense is when you feel offended. By a show of hands, both campuses, how many of you ever felt offended before? You've been offended before. Somebody's like, I'm offended you asked. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so stage number one is you feel offended. And, and when you feel offended, it is what it is. Like somebody can tell you something, but when you, when you feel that way, your perception is your reality. So somebody said something or somebody did something or somebody didn't say something or they didn't do something. And so you, you feel offended. Okay, that's the first stage. The second stage is this. It's when you choose to be offended. And this is different than the first. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, means that you have a choice to buy into that initial feeling of offense. <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? Let me say it to you like this. I, I can't pinpoint exactly why I am this way. But over 15 years, the Lord has really, and my wife would testify to this, the Lord has really helped me with being so easily offended. Because for whatever reason, like when somebody says something to me that I don't like or when Kimberly says something with a tone that I, I don't appreciate, I get, I get really offensive. So Kimberly can say something as, as simple as, you know, are you taking out the trash? And then I'll think, so you thought I wasn't going to take out the trash? So you had to ask me to take out the trash because you don't think I'm responsible enough to take out the trash? Now I'm not going to take out the trash. Does that make sense? Okay, you're laughing, so I'm not the only one. <laughs> I, get, I get really offended. So the Lord has helped me, and Kimberly will say things like, I didn't mean it that way. I, I, I didn't mean it that way. That's why Kimberly and I, and we're not perfect at this, we don't bat a thousand, but we never try to have hard conversations or honest conversations through texting or email because I can't read tone. And so I think, well, she's mad at me. 
She thinks that I'm not, I'm not the, the man of the house that I need to be. So I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. I don't know why I always preach about me. One day I'm going to do a whole message on all the things Kimberly does that y'all need to pray about. But can I tell you that being offended, man, listen, it's exhausting. We are so easily offended. It's distracting. Because, uh, let, me, let me ask you like this. Ha, have you ever let the root of bitterness grow so deep that everything they do bothers you? Everything. Because it creates collateral damage. So let's go back. Remember when you were dating or first engaged? Wasn't it so cute how they smacked their cereal? It is so cute. They smack their cereal. It's the cutest thing ever. And then 15 years later, you're like, if you smack your cereal one more time, I'm going to smack you. My God, chew with your mouth closed. For the love of all things decent. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because that that bitterness has grown so deep, it creates this collateral damage. And then when when you're so easily offended, you attract other offended people because negativity is, is attractive. And so before you know it, the only people that you hang out with is other people with a messed up family. The people you sit with in the break room are other people that got a messed up uh, marriage, and this is why so many affairs happen. Well, we just relate. My God, I feel, I literally feel the anointing. Listen to me. If you worked on your marriage as much as you worked on complaining about your marriage, something might shift. It might shift. And then healthy people start avoiding you. And I know what you're thinking, man, I thought today was going to be like you telling me how to forgive somebody and you're making it sound like it's my fault. I'm not. It's just our responsibility. Because here's what I've learned. Lean in, and I'm almost done. Because I have learned in my lifetime that it's a lot easier to live a less offendable life than it is to muster up the strength to swallow my pride and forgive someone of something they didn't even know they were doing 20 years ago. So for JC, what I'm learning to do in my life is, how can I be less offendable? I feel offended, but I don't choose to be offended. So maybe what you said is not actually what you meant, and so I'm not going to let it just simmer and sit and get infested. I'm going to ask you, did you mean it this way? No, I didn't mean it. Okay, then baby, let's move on. Because I'm not going to give the devil one inch. Because when you give him an inch, he kicks the door wide open. Come on. So I'm learning to live my life to be less offended. Does that make sense to anybody? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It means stop letting the small things become the big things. The Bible says in Proverbs that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. In all of my years of counseling, both giving counseling and receiving counseling, I've learned that most families don't break apart because of one major blow up. It's the small leaks. It's the small roots that were never handled, and they grow bigger 
and bigger and bigger until you need a backhoe to dig that thing out. Think about all the things you could accomplish if you redirected your energy from being less offended. It's a game changer. It's a game changer to say, you know what? I'm going to stop building a fence to keep people out. I'm going to learn to be less offendable. i got to move. Watch this. Some of you, though, you're thinking, okay, that's great. And moving forward, I got it. But there's real pain. There's real hurt. And I'm holding on to this stuff. So tell me before I leave, before I walk out of here, before I log off the computer, before I leave Go Church, how can I forgive? Because my heart is hurting. Like, how, how can I move on? How, how can I let it go? Listen to me. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Jesus gives us the example, and I want to show it to you, one verse of Scripture. He's literally hanging on the cross. They have nailed his hands, and they've nailed his feet. They put a crown of thorns. They mocked him. They pierced his side. They were crucifying Jesus, and Jesus had all authority. He could have levitated off that cross. He could have called for lightning to strike and to destroy all of those that were crucifying him. He, he had, he, more than anybody ever in the history of humanity, he had every right for revenge. But instead he prayed. He prayed. And this was his prayer. Luke chapter 23, one verse. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. He's hanging on that cross. And he prays a prayer of forgiveness. It's the secret to forgiving people. And here's my challenge. I wonder... If you could take the same approach that Jesus took some 2,000 years ago. And you would say today, God, forgive my dad for what he did. Because I, I believe that he didn't know what he was doing. And even if he did, he had no idea how bad it hurt me. God, Forgive my wife for what she did. Because I don't think she knew what she was doing. And, and you know what? Even if she did, there's no way she knew how bad this would hurt. Because listen to me, you holding on to that root of bitterness is like you drinking poison thinking it's going to kill somebody else. God, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And so many of us, like me, I wait on everybody else to come to me and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And here's why. And this is just me. And I've told you I'm taking counseling, so hang in there. Because when somebody hurts me, I feel like they ought to feel the same pain that I felt. So I'm not, I'm not going to forgive you until, you until you experience the same level of pain that I've experienced. And guess what? That never happens. Never. I will spend years of my life in this prison, and they move on. And I had this thought. It's kind of like a drunk driver. 
And you see this in the news all the time. A drunk driver hits somebody that's innocent, and it's the innocent people that are always either killed or hurt or injured or paralyzed. And what happens to the drunk driver? is walk free, not a scratch on them. And isn't that the same way? We come head to head with somebody that has hurt us, and I say, I'm not going to forgive you until you feel the same pain. And they're like, I didn't even know I did that. And even if I knew I was doing that, I didn't know how bad it affected you. Because listen to me, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know. And here's the question, and I want you to chew on this for a moment. Am I willing to accept what Jesus did on the cross as payment for what they did to me? Jesus paid it all. So am I willing? And you, you got to challenge this thought. And again, I know every family has a different dynamic. But don't justify your anger. Don't justify your bitterness. The responsibility is on us. Am I willing to accept what Jesus did on that cross as payment for what they did to me?